In the last episode, we talked about how the frontier companies have benefited from using AI and machine learning. Today's show will focus on small medium businesses and traditionally non-ICT intensive firms. How can AI and machine learning benefit them and what needs to be done to make the transformation happen? Today, I have a guest with me, Rebecca from Launch Consulting Group. Rebecca, welcome joining us. Thanks, JT. I'm happy to be on the show. It's also my pleasure, Rebecca. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, certainly. I'm the founder and CEO owner of a small company called Launch. Basically, we're an AI consulting and solutions firm. I started this company about just over a year ago. The reason why I started it is because as I was going through my MBA program, just to give you a little background, USC is, is uh, known as a research university. So they do a lot of research on the latest and greatest in technology. And so being exposed to that and various experts in that area made me realize that AI is really the future. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a technical person per se. I can see code, I can peck a few letters in code, but that's about the extent of it. <laughs> But um, I was formerly a project manager for various Fortune 500 organizations, working on technical implementations, just managing it from more of a high level, not in the weeds so much with the coding. Kind of, to be honest, it scares me a little bit. And this is someone who's founded an AI firm. So if you're getting into the AI world and it seems scary to you and overwhelming and super sophisticated and advanced, I'm right there with you. I get that. Um, keeping your eye on the bigger picture that this is the future. This is where society is going to go because there is just so much to benefit hmm. from using AI and machine learning technology and even robotic process automation. It's really where the world is headed and latching onto that really excites me and keeps me moving and gets me excited to the point where I actually founded a business in AI. Although I may not be the number one expert, we're still so early in the game everyone is learning. We can have the most advanced experts in the world alongside of us. You may not be the most advanced person in that area, but that's okay because being in this world is all about being collaborative and we're all learning together. And that's how we're gonna move society forward. So this is why I started my small firm. So true, Rebecca. Uh, speaking for myself as a business person transferring my path to a data science professional, I also found all that coding stuff intimidating in the beginning. But just like you said, we all learn collaboratively to move forward. And nowadays, we also see more and more people, even without a technical degree, start to learn programming, machine learning, or AI. So with such a great vision, what does your company do exactly to help your clients start, transform, and turn around businesses? Launch is an AI consulting and solutions firm. And so essentially you can break that out into two parts. We mm -hmm. have the service side, which is the consulting side. And in this area, what we do is we engage with various organizations who are looking to explore and implement AI into their organization and see how that looks like. Okay. We do that by helping them one through a discovery phase to figure out 
what are the use cases of AI that can apply to their organization? Mm -hmm. The second part would be to do an assessment of their organization, of their current state to figure out where are they coming from? Where are they at now? And then creating a vision of a future state and creating Mm -hmm. a plan on how to get there from the current state to that future state. And then from there, we help them with the actual implementation. The second part of our business is the product side where we actually build and implement um, various AI solutions. Now we're at the point in society where, yeah, there's there's quite a few solutions out there on the marketplace that exist. But when it comes to AI, we're still at that very narrow stage focus. Uh, we're not at the point where AI is in that general state where it can essentially operate very much like a human being. So right. this is where we come in and we help to customize either mm-hmm. the existing solutions that are in place or help build entirely new ones, putting together various forms of technology in pioneering mm-hmm. something brand new for a customer or a client. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing how your company is helping the businesses. Let's change gear to talking about the world. Recently, the pandemic really forced a lot of businesses to close down. And I I don't know if you read the survey. It came out just like a day or two days ago from Elp saying that 60% of restaurants closures due to COVID are permanent. Gosh, 60%. (laughs) A lot of restaurants I've been to and like very much will never come back. But even in such trying time, the public's interest in AI seemed to come to an all-time high. A recent survey by IPSoft shows that 82% of surviving businesses intend to adopt AI or other emerging technologies from this year to hedge against the impact of COVID. So um, Rebecca, do you think the pandemic is acting as a catalyst in pushing forward the progress of digital transformation? I certainly believe it has. Um, It's complicated as well. So once again, the world has shown us that the human race is not invincible, even with all the technology that we have now. Essentially, at the peak of our digital age, COVID has made us realize that it doesn't matter if we have the most advanced technology in the world, if our governments and societal restrictions don't change to support that. The sad Mm -hmm. thing is we have the technology to triumph over COVID, but we don't have the infrastructure. And I see that as the bigger inhibitor than technology not being advanced enough today. In order to push the digital age forward, we need to change our processes, our societal policies and rules to move at the same pace of technology if we want to reap the benefits of the technology we already have. And we can still push forward in advancing narrow AI to general AI, but the advance will be much more so if you don't change the environment it exists in. COVID has made our world question, why do we travel to work every day and not work from home? Or why does the drug approval process take years? If anything, COVID has helped put things in perspective and society's taken a huge step in that direction, trying to radically accelerate the drug development model. So as I always say, it takes a large push for society to change. And and are we really going to give ourselves that? It's not likely. But will a virus give us that push? Certainly. Is it also the same reason your clients came to you? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Like I said, with the virus, it's pushed people in society into a new zone. It's it's out of their comfort zone and it's into this brand new territory. Um, it's like you're throwing a child into the water for the first time and then they have to learn how to swim and they're either going to sink or they're going to swim. Yeah. And so right now everyone's frantically treading water, trying to figure out how to operate in this new environment. Yeah. And people realize that they've really ignored the risk side of their businesses. Mm -hmm. They haven't necessarily come up with a plan on how to respond in a time like these. And I really think that companies that have already had these newer agile processes in place where they iterate and fail fast, those types of businesses had that capability to pivot and change quickly. Whereas say more mature organizations don't necessarily have that type of model in place and have been slower to, to the plate, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when everyone's frantically treading water, trying to figure out where to move next, they're cutting their, their head count, they're laying people off and they still have to try to perform to the same numbers that they were before, or at least maintain with less resources, it becomes hard. And so this is where AI can step in and help an organization take on the workload of what humans have done before. Mm -hmm. um, there's such, such a great opportunity here for technology to play a role in our working world so that humans can optimize how they work and work on more crucial and important things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we see the pandemic really pushes forward progress. That's why we see another survey from Cognolytica. 30% of businesses already adopted AI in at least one of the processes. And the majority of the other businesses also planning the adoption in two years. Well, I think this number may vary depending on how you do sampling, as different industries will have different adoption rates. Rebecca, can you share what you come across in your clients in terms of the stages they are at and where they're heading to? And maybe also describe a bit about what kind of businesses they are in terms of industries and all that. Yeah, definitely. So you're completely right, JT. We have seen AI adoption more prevalent in, say, insurance companies or banks where risk management has always been a huge factor um, and strategic to their overall business model. Whereas in other organizations, such as restaurant groups, risk management is not such a big deal. It's not part of their, or at least wasn't part of their strategic model before. Mm -hmm. So the adoption landscape by industry is definitely tilted in various directions. There was a survey that recently came out that basically breaks down AI adopters into essentially three different categories. Okay. So you have your pioneers who were the first ones to adopt it. Mm -hmm. They are headfirst into this technology and everyone is using it and working on it. And this is where you'll see those insurance and banking industries are currently. Mm -hmm. They're the pioneers at the moment. When the second level of adoption would be organizations who we call them the investigators. And typically investigators have already assessed and come to the conclusion that yes hold on one second my dogs oh you have a dog stop it Shh. all right sorry about that what is you asking for oh they were just starting to roughhouse and play and i didn't want the microphone to pick it up oh oh they you have two dogs i have three dogs oh gosh wow yeah. you're really a dog person 
<laughs> yeah. I'll definitely include this clip. In the, <laughs> <laughs> in the blooper is real, right? <laughs> yeah, what a work from home vibe. All right. Um, so the investigators are the organizations that they've already decided AI, machine learning, these new intelligent automated technologies are the way to go. They've already performed a pilot or a few pilots testing out the technology are and are already in the process of currently integrating it or figuring out how to integrate it. Then the last level you have are the experimenters. So these are the people who are aware of AI, but they can't necessarily explain what it is. Um, and they're just starting to look at various solutions and other AI vendors to see what is it that they can truly offer and how would that map into their, their business. Um, so they're more at a observation level than necessarily a doing level. And so these are kind of the way that this study has broken out uh, the levels of AI adoption. Mm -hmm. Most of the businesses fall into the latter half. So the investigator stage mm -hmm. and the experimenters mm -hmm. stage at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's right. So in addition to businesses' core products, AI also diffused to other parts of business operations like customer service or supply chain. Like my previous employer, Asus, also implemented AI to the repair process, recommending technicians which component to replace to solve the problem of the customer's device effectively. So Rebecca, what are the most common uses of AI you've seen so far? That's a great question, JT. So when I think about how AI is used, it's really helpful to break it down into essentially three categories. Okay. Um, so the first one is organizations use it for new product development. Mm. How can they essentially take customer data and find insights through that data automatically mm. mm -hmm. that can plug into recommendations on how to make a product better or what kind of products they should start um, building. So that's one instance. Mm. The second instance would be using AI to cut costs. So one example would be using AI to go through various scenarios in a business problem and picking out the best solution to that problem will help save a company in going down many paths and give them the best recommended path. I guess an example of this also would be in banking and insurance, so fraud detection. By having the fraud detection AI in place, it reduces the cost of those insurance companies having to pay out in fraudulent claims, for example. Mm -hmm. And then the third category would be using AI to boost revenue. And the way that we do this is, for example, using that customer data to figure out how to personalize, say, a message to a customer or personalize an offer to a customer so that way they're more likely to buy your product or upgrade to your next tier of products. That's where most of the organizations are seeing the value because today, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but it's all about customer experience and putting the customer first. There's yeah. this whole customer first mentality that's happening in the marketplace yeah, exactly. right now and in the business world. And that's just where organizations' heads are at. If they can cater mm -hmm. down to an individual personalized level 
for a customer and pull out the best individual recommendations for them, then they can offer even more value to them and then capture yeah. them as a longer term customer. That's what scale is. Yeah, that's We right. sell products to the masses and that's great. Anyone can try to do that. But to be able to sell product to the masses and sell something that is exactly for an individual, now we're adding real value to the world. Yeah, yeah. So from your experience, what is the key to successfully implementing or adopting AI? Yeah, that's a great question, JT. So as with anything, the answer is always a little complicated and it's dynamic. For me, there's always more than one thing because the world is not black or white. In my opinion, at least, it's always gray. There's always many variables that contribute Mm -hmm. to success. But if there was one key thing is that a lot of organizations just don't have the data capabilities currently. They don't have the data infrastructure which is the actual foundation for any kind of advanced or smart or automated technology. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of businesses get stuck and they're really struggling to push forward. Mm -hmm. And that step is also one of the longest steps in the process because they have to not only one, determine what data they need to collect, then two, figure out how to collect it, then three, find the right tool and models to analyze the data and then for capture those insights, that's a lot of work. Organizations spend years just in that stage. That's right. But there's so much more to it than just the data infrastructure. Mm-hmm. When it comes to deploying AI solutions, you really need to think about it across several different pillars or tiers. Mm-hmm. So the five pillars that I like to think about AI in are going to be, one, does it mesh with your business strategy? Two, do you have the right organization and culture in place to support the Mm -hmm. development and consumption of AI? Three is the data that we just talked about. Do you have that data infrastructure and foundation? Mm -hmm. Four is technology. And then five is the operations. And what I mean by operations is really, do you have the talent and team in place that has the skills and capabilities to actually deploy AI into your organization? And then do you have the right budget? Are your budget expectations in line with reality? AI is extremely costly. I can't even tell you what my AWS bill is right now. (laughs) It's out of the roof. This is why it's so critical when you deploy new technology solutions, no matter what it is, AI, machine learning, whatever it is, it's really critical to start with a small use case, like a very relevant pertinent yet Mm -hmm. small use case, Mm -hmm. and pilot that out for a term of about six months. In those six months, it's your learning opportunity to figure out, is this going to work? Is this not? And are we going about it the right way? Mm-hmm. And just using that pilot as that that cooking pot, that learning environment, knowing that full well you can come out in a wave of failure. But from that failure, can you rise above that and move on to a second pilot where you're going to do much better? Mm-hmm. And that sounds quite right. One step at a time to success. Here I want to share an article from Harvard Business Review. How to win with machine learning? It illustrated the dilemma of late AI adopters and listed out three key questions to whether an AI or machine learning application could succeed. Do you have enough training data? That's the first question. And second, how fast are your feedback loops? The article uses the example of Google search. 
saying Google search has way more users and can feedback user data to improve the search algorithms much faster than other players. That's why other players find it hard to catch up. And third question is, how good are your predictions? Also use the search engine example. If you cannot precisely predict what the user is really looking for behind the keywords typed one time and two times, then the user is going to abandon the search engine. So uh, Rebecca, do you have anything to add to this article's viewpoint? Yeah, I think that's a great starting point that HBR has established on how to win with machine learning. But I also think that they're very general, high level points. When you dig into that, so for example, first one, do you have enough training data? Yeah, you definitely need a high volume of data in order for your models to be valid with high confidence. But it's also about the quality of data. So I would say take a two prong view of of your data quantity as well as quality. This Mm -hmm. means you're going to have to go through and clean your data and take out those, figure out one, what are those anomalies and two, take them out. The second point, how fast are your feedback loops? In addition to being fast, you want to make sure are your feedback loops sufficient enough? Is enough data coming back into the model to be considered a machine learning model? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I really see in terms of facilitating a great feedback loop is one, have you trained your, say, your workers or your consumers? First, they need to know what is AI? Why do you want their feedback? And the second part would be, have you incentivized them to Mm. give that feedback? Mm -hmm. And this is what I see as a critical missing piece to the equation of why AI hasn't advanced faster than it already has. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, you can put a message out there asking for feedback. For example, there's various applications that will ping you a pop-up that says, how satisfied are you with this application? And you rate it like five stars, two stars. But that's that's what we call a push, a push to the user to actually give feedback. You also want to create a poll environment. So creating a push and poll environment where users are actually incentivized to give feedback of their own accord is really critical because as we said, having the right volume of data is going to be key to having your models working correctly. And by using both methods, you really optimize that um, and maximize that opportunity. In so many applications, I just don't see it enough. The consumption side of AI and that feedback loop getting turned back around into that model, it's not happening as quickly as it could be. And that's because organizations or solutions, people in the AI world, um, not everybody, but broadly across the whole industry, not seeing enough incentive being put into place. And this is just a matter of understanding human behavior and psychology. And then the last point is how good are your predictions? What we must understand here is that models will change as the data changes. As you can see in a matter of days and weeks, we went from a pre-COVID to a COVID environment. And everything in human behavior and consumption behavior has changed radically and extremely fast. Therefore, the models that were working pre-COVID maybe aren't the best model to work for us in today's world. So even though we're seeing this great influx and increase of interest in AI, 
We need to go back to the drawing board and reassess these models because the market will change. It's not static, so you can't necessarily stay with just one static model. So you have to keep that in mind when building. It's going to be a constant process. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I, I think you mentioned a lot of great points. Other than quantity, we also need to care about the quality or the usability of the data. Not that garbage in, garbage out. And the feedback loop doesn't just rely on how big the user base is, but also what measures you use to acquire them, incentivize them as much as possible. And lastly, keep updating the model to keep up the pace with the changing world. Apart from that, uh, Rebecca, what are the most common issues your clients encounter in their roadmap to AI? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be different for each client depending on what stage they're at. Some mm -hmm. clients are starting with that data foundation and others are not. But regardless of that, if I had to come up with one sticking point across the board that we see, it's about creating an enterprise-wide initiative to integrate AI into an organization. Typically, when companies come to us, they'll be like, oh, we want to start an AI project, we want to integrate it. Let's house this initiative with IT. They'll be in charge. The problem with this is that when you set this initiative up only within one business unit, IT, the other business unit's performance metrics are still the same as they used to be. They're not aligned to that new initiative. While ITs may be aligned, they're not aligned and therefore they're not going to be as incentivized to help IT push this forward because AI really needs to be a collaborative process and involve the entire organization yeah. and all the business units. Yeah, that's right. And the reason why this is, is because we need as much talent as we can to support this because this is a huge endeavor. And we also need that volume of data. And the best way to do that is with numbers. And so this is where I see organizations fail a lot. They don't make it enterprise wide. Mm -hmm. In order to actually achieve that, it really comes down to creating the right culture. A culture of collaboration is definitely the kind of culture we're looking for that can help a company effectively deploy these initiatives. So getting these business units to stop being so siloed and work together and finding these commonalities to push an initiative forward, finding those mutual interests is gonna be key. So this could mean sitting them down into a room together and have them hashing that out, mm. finding those commonalities, in addition to readjusting your incentive system to make sure that their performance metrics are aligned. Again, it just it comes down to creating the right culture and excitement. Also communicating that message of why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you implementing this AI initiative? So giving the message from a pers personalized perspective. So how is AI gonna benefit IT? How is AI gonna benefit finance? How is AI gonna benefit marketing? Um, here we go about personalization again. It would be great to have an AI tool to come up with those individual messages for, for the various business units. But mm -hmm. having them latch onto that bigger picture and holding onto that, because as we said, AI is a time-consuming process. It generally takes years before organizations can fully realize the potential of their, their AI initiatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have quick wins um, early on, but this is a, a long-term investment you're looking yeah. at. So it's really critical to keep up the momentum and mm -hmm. excitement 
of AI in this initiative and some organizations will essentially create a communication plan that for example, the CEO will send out messages, say on a quarterly basis, re-emphasizing how important it is to stay committed to this new idea, as well as having the organization send out articles across their ranks, showing them uh, what's the latest in AI and exciting things that other businesses have done. So they're like, oh, if they did it, then we could do that too. And so those are some of the ways that we always recommend our clients help to create that what we call a sustainable culture of excitement mm -hmm. for AI. Great, Rebecca. My last question for you here, I think is also hidden in many business owners' mind, which is, I don't find AI or machine learning useful in any of my business processes. Is that a thing? Should I be panicked? How would you answer to their inner voice? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a large majority of people who, who are in that state of mind right now where they don't necessarily see the value just yet. And honestly, it's a matter of getting your mind into this discovery. You just have to uphold this sense of curiosity where you have to start making an active and proactive effort to looking at what are the current applications out there today getting yourself involved in AI institutions and organizations and conferences so that you can just put yourself mm -hmm. into that environment, mm -hmm. immerse yourself so that you see everything that's happening around you and you just become a sponge and you start mm -hmm. absorbing it. From there, that's the number one best way I see companies and people get ideas on how they can use AI in their business. So not only can they do that, but there's also a few tools that I recommend that they can use. And this is something that we take our clients through as well in this process. And we essentially use what we call an AI canvas, which is a tool that allows you to break down your workflow processes into a task and decision level. So what are the tasks that need to be done in the organization? Uh, what are the decisions that need to be made? And then categorizing those into what's critical versus not so critical, what's time consuming, not so time consuming. So the critical portion, the time consumption part are our two key variables that we're looking at here and what's gonna add value to an organization's AI. And from there, like I said, AI is really on a narrow use case basis. It's not at a general basis just yet. So you're gonna have to get down into the weeds to pinpoint individual tasks and then somehow categorize or group those together into some kind of module or package where they relate to one another that you can create a like set of rules to then deploy that AI initiative. Um, and this is where, this can be scary for a lot of organizations. So it's yeah. helpful to have uh, an AI expert to help take you through a process mm. like that. And then from there, we're able to prioritize and pinpoint what are the actual use cases that are gonna actually add value to your organization mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. which ones are aligned with your objectives. Do you wanna reduce costs or is it more important for you to grow revenues? Or is it more important to develop a very relatable product that resonates with your customers? So again, coming back to those three categories that we talked about earlier, I wouldn't necessarily be worried if you don't know how to integrate AI just yet. If you can't find a use case, your sole mission should just be to immerse yourself in that world wow. because that time will come when you will figure that out. Right. 
But I also think it's really critical to know that we're already in the midst of deploying AI solutions. There are many organizations that have already been successful. Just at the point in AI adoption where if you haven't started looking now, you're already considered what we call a laggard mm. in the adoption mm. scale, which means you're you're a latecomer and you have to understand the risk of being a laggard. Mm. If you wait too long, then the organizations or people that have adopted AI before you they're already gonna have that head start. They have the volume of data. They figured out what they need to collect, how they need to collect it. They've already built those capabilities. So while you're still in that stage of building that data foundation, they're already skyrocketing off of Earth going on to other planets. So in this case with AI, if you don't start now, it's gonna be exponentially harder for you to catch up later Mm. on if you don't. So again, should start immersing yourself immediately is my recommendation. Indeed, the world has been changing even faster since the pandemic. So for early starters, remember to keep updating the model. And for latecomers, it's really the time to learn and catch up. And keep in mind those tips we share today, such as incentivizing customers or partners to feedback more data to keep training the model. In addition to quantity, Quality is equally important, not to mention the data infrastructure, which we'll talk about more in the upcoming episodes. In the meantime, your business strategy, leadership, communications, culture, and how you start and operate all play crucial parts in a successful transformation. So working with the right people, either as in-house staff or external experts like Rebecca and her team, to acquire necessary expertise will help you stay in the game. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing so many great insights today. Yeah, certainly. It was a pleasure being on the show, JT. Thank you. This is JT on Data Cadabra. See you next week. Bye.